Hello and welcome to the CBGS podcast brought to you by Aspen Waits. Hello, Paul. Hello, Drew. How's it going, sir? <laughs> it's good. You haven't got any socks on. It's very just off-putting. I know. You can't actually see this um, on camera, but I'm, I'm a bit barefooted today. <laughs> Doing a bit of grounding, a bit of connecting. Cool, cool. <laughs> um, you all good, sir? You had, had, a, had an interesting week this week? As always, yeah. yes. Brilliant. We're going to be speaking um, today about uh, budgeting and cash flow in business, which we've touched on um, previously in, in other episodes, but uh, just to delve more deeply into this subject, because it's something that is very important to business, obviously. So uh, you get more, a few more of your nuggets would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so to start off, um, I'd li- like to ask, in your experience, would you say um, clients and business owners generally budget effectively? Ooh. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I always like to always ask such good questions. Um, so, I, I, so I think the answer to that question is no. No. Uh, uh, but it's not no because uh, I, I'd say no principally because they don't budget in the first place. They don't budget in the first place? No. Your question presupposes that people budget, and I would say most people don't budget. Right, okay. So, so I reckon the vast majority of businesses, if you went into their business and said, can I have a look at your budget, they would look at you blankly. Mm. So that's why the answer was no. So that's two a very, things there. very Do- big problem. I, I would assume that it'd all be your budget reports and, and actually uh, fully... Do you fully think get- all businesses would do that? Yeah, well, uh, in, in, in your head... I'd say it was a rarity. Yeah, oh, wow. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a really key issue. But, but budgeting effectively is obviously very important for, to, to have control of your... Oh, well, it might not be by the looks of it. If they're still, if they're still going and, and going uh, strong or not so strong, but they're still getting by without budgets, then that would make me think that it's, it's not like you know a huge thing but i th- i would have thought that well, sorry why would you see so or you, you keep you keep presupposing things don't you mm, mm. so your your last comment presupposed that people got by all right without budgets mm. well maybe they fail because they don't have budgets because mm. what is it how, set, set, how many set times have we talked about the fact that um if you fail to plan you plan to fail mm. well isn't budgeting planning yes it's financial planning, isn't it? Yes. So if you don't plan financially, then, then, I mean, I've come across businesses before, even some reasonably large ones that are very unsophisticated. But you can't necessarily criticise them for the reason you said because they are successful. Mm. This is what I was thinking. So it's almost like you you say, well, actually, you really you you, you would do better if you did this and this and this. Mm. But when they keep making two million pounds every year, it's a bit difficult to sort of yeah get too critical about it, you know, because. Yeah. Because obviously it works, doesn't it? Mm. So they're still getting by. So my point would probably be that they'd make three million. But they don't know that, and they're never going to believe me, are they? Mm. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Usually people do budgets because the bank tells them to or something like that. Okay. So is it e- easy to get like a loan or...? or, or... Well, no, no, you mustn't use the word like easy. Oh, not easy. <laughs> <laughs> people like banks and financial institutions and investors expect to see numbers. So... If I had a new business and I wanted you to invest in it, you'd want to see, well, what does it look like, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, well, I think I'm... So in my case, I, I thought I was going to turn over 45000 in my first year. Mm-hmm. That's what I told the bank. Had a little forecast, you know, mm-hmm. July, August, September, October. Mm-hmm. Added up to 45000 I think the profit was twenty-three or something, and I did seventy-four, I think. Wow. If I remember rightly. In your first year? Mm. Um... Yeah, so people 
I would say that in the vast majority of cases, so people mostly don't budget anyway, and if they do budget, they mostly budget because t- someone tells them to do it. Oh, okay. And then you've got the rarity, which is the companies, which are the companies which recognise the importance of budgeting and would do it as a matter of course, mm-hmm. like we do, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I start getting agitated around end of July, August. Well, it used to be with October, so probably now, probably September. Start kicking people about next year's budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. So yeah. So the fact is, uh, people don't budget, and um, and so most businesses are entirely reactive. And even then, they don't even know what they're doing from day to day. When I, I met um, one of my favourite clients yesterday, and um, his, you know, we're talking about. You know, we're talking about someone with quite high aspiration that would be considered to be wealthy, I would say, for instance, and to, and to own a successful business or businesses. And he would not be able to tell me from one day to the next what his profit was. Mm. So one of the things that I've offered him uh, is that we will do that for him. Mm. So, so would that be, um, what you say about being in the, in the business uh, rather than on the business, uh, would that be an example of that? Like is he is he too caught up in in the day to day like runnings to, to to kind of look at overall things like that? I think um, a lot of it is down to culture, isn't it? Right. Okay. You know what you're used to, in other words. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, one of the things that I often think about business is most people set up in business without any sort of coherent plan. Mm. Mm. Uh, they don't. They don't. They haven't gone to business school. They don't actually know a lot about business. They might know a lot about baking bread. Yeah, or so about specific or things. How to take cow poo out of a farm and and recycle it? Yeah. They don't necessarily the technical know, aspects. They don't necessarily know how to account yeah. for the poo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I liked that one. Oh, uh, brilliant! <laughs> I met a farmer this week, new client, and he puts manure, cow manure, through a screw press machine and makes cattle bedding out of it. Oh wow, that's proper recycling. That takes your head, that gets your head around that one, doesn't it? Innovative, R and D. R and D, R and D moment. So, Paul, what, what would what would good budgeting look like for you? Like, say. Um, in business a good budgeting so good budgeting would um, one of the things one of the things uh, when I was younger I can remember uh, a particularly large client where I was in charge of the budgeting process every year and I think with the benefit of hindsight you know and having matured and uh, also uh, the experiences of interacting with people from that client for instance but um what probably happened was the budget was more my budget right does that make sense mm-hmm. so and actually I was very good at it so you know I, I have a very good track record of if I say the turnover is going to be 20 million in fact I remember one year I can't think it was Aspen Wait I said the turnover was going to be 100 units and it was 99.3 units or something mm-hmm. it, was, it was literally that close you know um, so, and understanding the business that you're working in uh, so the fact is I was able to do a very good budget for this company mm-hmm uh, and certainly 
over the year as a whole, what actually happened usually was unerringly close to what I said it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, or the issue is probably rather than a problem, which 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 became more and more apparent as the company grew and there were more and more people involved, is that um, the budget process wasn't inclusive. Right. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know what you mean now, sorry. Inclusive means yeah. all the people owning it. Oh, okay. Inclusive. Oh, okay. Yeah. The team. It, so that's why I carefully said it was arguably more my budget than theirs. But if it's um, if it's accurate, um, would there be a problem with that? Like, it, say, say if you if you did hire like someone who was really like on top of their game with all of that stuff, and and it was accurate, surely that's the most important thing about it. Well, it's, it. Well, again, it depends. But putting that trust in that one person is quite like. But so if it goes doing back a good to basics, job, though, doesn't it? Like while you're doing a budget in the first place. Yeah. So, for instance, uh, this particular company had to give the budgets to their bank. Right. So I would suggest that me effectively doing the budgets, in far as, as far as that was concerned, satisfied it. Mm-hmm. The bank don't give a monkey's ass who did it. They just want to see that it's because. If you think about it, so why do banks want? Why do banks and investors want budgets? Well, apart from the fact, you know, say if you're an investor, you want to see your return. The bank wants to see that if they're going to lend you a million pounds, that you can afford to pay it. Mm-hmm. You can afford to pay it, and quite often with banks, they they um, lay down um, what are called covenants, some right. ratios. Formally, they, the, the company's got to keep within. So, you know, uh, the borrowing isn't supposed to be two times more than earnings or something. You know. So the budget, so with the budget, the bank will actually use the budget to actually see whether you're going to stay inside mm. the formally over the year. They might say, well, actually, you know, you're going to breach the covenant in June, mm. which might make them uneasy about giving you money or might ask, they might ask to see you during the year if that happens. So when it comes to external reporting, it doesn't really matter who does the budget, I agree. Um, but the reason why it wasn't, it was, it was, it was, better not to do that and I realised that as I got as I said probably more mature as well is effectively if you've got a team so let's say let's say you had a, a, a transport company you've got a transport director you know you might have an operations director a sales director um, so on and so forth then wouldn't it be better if the sales forecast was done by the people controlling the sales mm. not me mm. I'm just the accountant, you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's why. So I, I didn't realise, well, actually, that um, it, it, would, it, it would be much better if the sales forecast was actually done by the key people and then get them get them to do the, 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 the payroll budget, for instance. Mm. You know, do we need to employ any new people in the year? If so, how many? When do they join? What sort of people are they? What wages are they on? Mm. Uh, what new machinery so this particular company one thing we did particularly well we also did a capital expenditure budget every year right so you appreciate what that means so like how many new vehicles we were going to buy uh, when we were going to replace them uh, when we, whether we needed new plants to work on new sites or whatever you know mm-hmm. and that in itself was, was quite a science or an art actually because um, probably with the capital expenditure budgeting policy on its own that helped us to I think the company's corporation tax rate was was somewhere around the 10 to 11% rate mm. so 
what what so effective planning didn't didn't just give us great management information it gave us uh, a heavily discounted corporation tax rate mm, wow so what I did was I obviously used my knowledge of tax Mm. to integrate in with the budgeting process I, I just keep flashing in my head like that that um, collaboration and, and planning um, like collaboration between the different departments to get that kind of budget planning oh, it's just teamwork I can really, yeah I can really see it. at first I was a little bit well if you're if you're doing it uh, you're getting it all, all correct yourself then surely that person can just be in trouble but I yeah I can see how that needs well you work in our marketing department if I if I turn around to you in January and I said uh <laughs> Next year, this is what your department's going to do. And I hadn't asked you what you thought about it. You mm. might feel a bit alienated, mind you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so Hence, then it brings so that word it's inclusive well. now. Mm. So mm. It, it makes more sense to you now, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So even even in terms of morale for the team and um, uh, yeah, like inclusiveness of being able to have that communication in your role will make you feel better as well. Um, so just. That that brings the whole human element into it with teamwork, I think, which is another. So I think budgets 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 need to be um, uh, need to be realistic, um, and they need to include the team. So the team as a whole, the people who are responsible, need to be. In fact, I've taken that whole approach to a new level. So although it hasn't worked properly yet, because successive. Uh, so-called chief financial officers of mine have failed to implement my policy. So I'll just be really honest now. Um, what I what I've been trying to do is to say every single line in my accounts, okay, our accounts has been weight. So say advertising, telephone, repairs and renewals, light and heat, mm-hmm. uh, professional costs, bank interest, car hire, whatever. Right? Somebody should be responsible for that line. Yeah. Um, so what I then try to do in a budget process is to have every single item in my accounts from sales all the way down to the bottom that somebody is responsible for that for it mm. so that I, I then ask that person to do a budget for telephone mm. yeah yeah so every single every single line somebody is accountable for what goes on in that line and how I work is I basically say, so say, um, so say you were Ross in charge of marketing and you said, um, so to do the job that Mr. Waite is asking us to do properly in the year 2020-21, okay, which would be the next budget period for Aspen Waite, uh, we need to buy a 3D printer. We need to buy a, I don't know, some flashy digital thingy or whatever. Um, we need we're we're getting uh, overworked. I need to employ a full time web designer to because I don't want to do that anymore because I'm I'm the boss. Uh, this is Ross, by the way. <laughs> um, that's going to cost thirty grand, and that's going to happen in six months' time. Mm-hmm. So what what should happen then? He submits that to me. I look at it, and I go, well, the budget team, me or whoever is approving the budget, and then I say, yep, yeah, I'm all right with that. Then in my world, what then happens is I've approved the budget, and then so if if, if Ross, for instance, has budgeted to spend thirty thousand pounds on capital expenditure, and he says that marketing costs are going to be six thousand pounds a month, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, and he's budgeting to employ a new person for thirty grand halfway through the year, as long as 
his spend is inside that I don't want to know Right, okay. Does that make sense? Because mm. it's been agreed. Mm. Yeah, we say we're going to spend something. We spent it. So where, 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 you know, where that would change, obviously, is someone, someone. Um, well, that's probably a good one. So you know, we do things like sponsor horse races. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, one one can take that sort of thing too far. So I actually think that there are good reasons for doing things like that. But you know, you can take things too far as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it needs to be controlled. So you can't just sit there and think, well, I'm going to have a jolly, you know. So in August, I'm going to go to Headley on Thames and go to the Regatta. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to go... I mean, one of my clients actually uh, does have massive amounts of entertaining. He probably goes to nearly all the England rugby internationals, including away ones. He goes to the Cheltenham Festival and he goes to Punchestown, which is the Irish equivalent, you know. Mm. I mean, he's probably spending £80,000 a year on... Um, being nice to his customers, we say, you know. Mm. Now he obviously thinks that's that's important, but I think it's you know there's got to be some some control over that and some mm. accountability for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think budgeting should be about ownership. Uh, you know, why am I? Why do I need to spend it? Making the case, um, having a proper budget process, integrating individual cost centres into an all-inclusive central budget. And then off you go. And then, obviously, the thing then is to monitor actual performance against what you expected. Mm. So, so say like a budget report. Um, would they? Would that be how? How would that look? How would a how would a good budget report look um, to you? Would it be uh, ev- everyone would do individual reports in their different departments, and then you'd put one overall together? Or um... <laughs> so normally, what happens with a budget report, as you call it? Um, you would you would track actual performance against budget, right? Okay. So, um, say we were talking about June now, as per weight's June performance, we we thought we were going to turn over as a group five hundred thousand pounds, and we turned over four hundred and seventy eight thousand. That would be called that's an adverse variance. That's what that's, that's called, right? Okay. So the adverse variance would be twenty two thousand. So if you were doing a budget report, you'd put. A twenty-two thousand, A being adverse. Yeah. Mm. If sales were in fact five hundred twenty-two thousand, it would be a positive variance. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you do a budget report flagging up actuals against expected. That flags up variances. Right. Okay. You then look at the variances, and you can and you, and you basically look to see whether why they happened. Um, and obviously, one of the things I'm also a big fan of, which you probably aren't familiar with, is what's called rolling budgets. Right. So traditionally, someone would do a budget sort of just before their year starts, right? And you'd say, well, I expect to turn over 100 units. I expect my cost to be 90 units and my profit to be 10. And then you would do monthly or quarterly. This is is, If it exists, of course, as we said earlier, it often doesn't exist anyway. Mm. You'd have monthly or quarterly reports where you're tracking actual against budget and you get to the end of the year. To me, that's all right, but it's not the best. So what I prefer to do is uh, you... So probably in our case, we would probably... I would want the budget process to be finished quite well before the next year. Mm. Don't want it to be like two days before, you know. So I, I would start kicking people four months before, probably, yeah, to start planning, like you to start thinking about it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so in our case, our first month is February. So if, 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 our, um, if we thought we were going to do 100 units... And we did 121 units. 
uh, I would then challenge that and say, well, uh, so it might well be that what's happened is something significant has happened, which shows that your budget was too cautious mm. because some favourable event has happened in the meantime, or things that weren't crystal clear to you at the time of doing the budgets are more crystal clear to you. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so you're using them as a way to flag up things to to show you more about your company or about where where things could be going right or where things could. Yes, be what going I'm saying wrong. is, is in, in a, with a rolling budget, you wouldn't just sit there and say, "Well, I I said I was going to turn over 100 units." You might get to the end of February and say, well, I said I was going to do 100 units, but actually I can see now I'm going to do 110. Yeah, so then... So you would change it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see? That's, so you, that's called a rolling budget. So you're, you're, you're continually looking at it all the time, mm, monthly or quarterly. More actively being in control of those areas of your business, which is obviously... It's not everyone very, in Aspen. So if, if everyone in Aspen Mike was in this room now, and I said, does everyone agree what I just said? Not everyone would. Mm, not to the level that I do. Mm, okay, but but for me, it's just about being in control. So so if if it, why it seems so important is because you're more in control because you're seeing what's going on, um, like with that with the numbers. So that's obviously that for me that's a good thing because you can plan for future. Like you can see if you've been too blue sky or too. <laughs> um, well, yeah, would you agree with that or? Well, yeah, obviously. You know, for me, there's you, they, they can't, there can never be uh, a case for criticising having too much information, can there? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so to me, I'm thinking about everything. I think about it all the time, mm. every week, probably. Mm. I'll give you a good example as well. Of um, so, uh, we have a new chief financial officer, Michelle Perkins, who's uh, uh, a good addition to our team, and um, we implemented. Uh, a policy last year um, work in progress so work in progress represents the value of work you've done at any point in time that hasn't been billed yet right. which in our case is probably colossal to us it's probably hundreds of thousands of pounds it's actually quite difficult to um, to work out what it is without having which I would prefer by the way just again not that's controversial inside the, the, the department so I would I would like to have almost job cards so that every job had its own separate contract sheet. Right. You know I know the sales from that job are ten grand. It cost me eight thousand three hundred. Mm. That job made a profit of seventeen hundred. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the level of detail I would like to have. So in in my in Paul's ideal world, I'd have a hundred job cards. Uh, if they weren't billed at any point, I'd just have to add up the hundred jobs, wouldn't I? Mm. You know, simplistically, and, and I can't see why anyone would disagree with me, but they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably because it's too much effort, and you know, rather have an easy life. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth of it. Because oh, wow. there is no intellectual reason to oppose my point of view. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, just practicality of actually being able to implement that kind of thing. So, but if you just look at the, re- the what happens as a consequence about decision making, so uh, I I put in place um, what I thought was quite a. So this is but far from ideal. So I, I actually don't know what the work in progress is to the level that I want. Mm-hmm. So what, what I did was I, I put in place a formula which okay. was based on my expectation against what was done in the month. If the sales were less than the expectation, the work in progress went up. And if the sales were higher than the expectation, the work in progress went down. Right. The base level was 250,000. 
no one then thought about that properly. And to be fair to Michelle, she wouldn't have thought about it because she wasn't there when it was done. Mm-hmm. So really, the only two people probably who could have thought about it were probably myself and Steve Collins, possibly Ben Phillips to to some extent. So of course, um, Michelle does, I think, the first group pack she's ever done. And I'm looking at the accounts and I think, oh, that's not very good. You know, mm-hmm. So it looks like our profitability has significantly declined in the new financial year. And it was actually, when I, when I, when I was first given it, which was during the, the, the middle of a week, and obviously, you know, this week, for instance, I've been at the office every single day. Yeah, very now I've got to drive to Exeter as soon as I finish talking to you. Mm. I've got, I feel frazzled. You know, I, I'm like, I've got 50, five people demanding to talk to me today on the phone, you know, which I can't get out of. Uh, so the Friday, the lovely Friday I will have is, is you know, it doesn't exist, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So um, Michelle gave me that. And, 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 all, and, and I suppose that the first thing is, because I'm good like this, my inst- instinct was this isn't right. I don't know why it's not right, but it's not right. I'm not expecting to see this. Then, of course, um, the first bank holiday weekend came along. I was able to sit down in my garden with the sun coming out and I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, my ex- everything's changed. Mm-hmm. Last year, we thought we were going to do 90 units, but this year, we think we're going to do 120 units. So the expectations moved 25%. But Michelle's still working on the basis of last year. Uh, so the work in progress was based on last year's formula. Right. And I, and I looked at it, and I thought, right, intellectually, what should... So I changed the formula. Mm. That meant the work in progress went up £94,000. So instead of showing a profit of thirteen thousand, the profit was one hundred and seven thousand. Do you see what I mean? Now that's a good. So that's a great example of where inadequate or insufficient management information can actually cause a problem. Yeah. Because I could well, firstly, it affected my morale because mm-hmm. I think I'm doing worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I, I could have, I could have, it could have affected how I talk to people, couldn't it? You know, because we're not doing so well. You know, why are we doing so well, you bugger? You know, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're using that information, like we say, with the banks and all that kind of thing. So I think it's well. incredibly important you understand your own business and you're continually reappraising everything. Mm. So you know what to, you know, you know what to expect. You know. Yeah, and um, so with it, I was going to um, talk about Chief Financial Officer um, a bit later in the podcast, but it's good, obviously, a good time to bring it up. So, um, at what stage in the business life cycle would you? Um, say like a business would need to look into employing like a, a chief financial officer or because I, I can imagine this is something that you would have, have done yourself at, at the start of um, well, uh, the start and just or, or all the way through is like the CEO and being an, an accountant and everybody. sorry are you talking now for Aspen or for clients um, this is uh, for, for clients so when you said doing it myself did you mean I was doing it in Aspen weight or I was doing yeah it I was wondering at the start you would have been doing that um, in Aspen well, so, so yeah so basically um, for most of Aspen weight's life mm-hmm. I would say this is what the sales budget's going to be and then I would get someone to process it for me right okay he wouldn't be a chief financial officer okay we've never really had a proper chief financial officer in so far as that's all they do Mm. For for a layman like me, sir, what would a what would a chief financial officer? What would their um, role kind of look like? What what would it be in a company? You know what the answer to that is, don't you? Depends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so if we were looking at um, 
a quoted company, so. Uh, so let's say it was a company turning over 500 million. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 500 million and it's got 650 staff, perhaps five divisions, different parts of the country, one foreign subsidiary, maybe in Dublin or something. Um, so that company would need um, probably a whole team of, of accountants led by the chief financial officer. Uh, a chief financial officer would obviously take responsibility for the total accounting and finance function in that company. Um, if it was a very large company, that person probably would be more strategic than doing. Does that make sense? Mm. So for instance, when I used to work for First Bus, First Group now, um, I would have said their chief financial officer wasn't a particularly good accountant. If anything, his prime responsibility seemed to be liaising with the stock exchange mm. and producing s- fluffy and woolly papers to help their share price. Mm. You know. Mm. Um, so, um, if it, so I think the thing is, uh, there probably comes a point where a company becomes so big it has to have a chief financial officer. But even that is, um, you know. It's not clear. Uh, obviously, one of the things that causes some issues of objectivity, I guess, with us is I've obviously worked in situations where uh, there are people in the company I'm working for who think I should be replaced by a chief financial officer. Mm-hmm. I've effectively fulfilled that position. Mm-hmm. Uh and then people are saying, well, we need, we need, a, we need a full-time chip. Paul can't do that. He's only doing half a day a week or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, now, of course, you know, one of the things that there is a big demand for, increasingly so in the country, and something we're able to do as well, is obviously a part-time financial director. Mm. Uh, but, so you take, you take the, the meeting I had yesterday um, with the guy I was saying, you know, uh, I think a lot of, but doesn't actually know exactly what he's doing from one minute to the next uh, you would probably say by most people's standards he's got a very nice business but he doesn't even know what profit he's making from one month to the next mm. I can improve his life immensely with comparatively little input I would say mm. probably three hours a month mm. three hours a month for someone like Tim Champion implementing what I tell him to do would would vastly improve that person's life, mm. in my opinion. Mm. And then, obviously, one of the things um, I would then want, because I think a lot of this client, I think he's, he's got a bit of a very bright future. So when I sent him a big email last night, and I just said, I'm really impressed with what you're doing. Mm. You know, operationally, you're right on the money. You're making some really smart decisions. You know, I totally support what you're doing. Uh, and I'm very motivated to help you. Um, you know, I'd like to do this and this and that for you. And one of the messages of that email was very much just keep make sure you keep adapting, keep improving, keep wanting more all the time, you know? And I think that's what it's about. To some extent, I don't think it particularly matters how you get the result. Mm. It's getting the result. Yeah. It's what works for you. Mm. So to me, you see, I, I you know, I know I'm biased. I can't understand why somebody that knows that I'm trustworthy and works hard for them why they would want to kick me out because they perceived that they need someone to be called a CFO. Mm, mm. 
Yeah. So 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 what you're saying is you can you could basically. Um, yeah, I was thinking of it as a as a full time. You need it, but you you could um, implement some of those kind of functions like uh, on a, on a smaller scale, and it would still give you more control over your business or brighten your prospects of your future just from a little bit more input from someone who specialised in that area. So, like, say, yeah, like you just said, three hours a week could um, could three just change that three three hours a month, yeah. yeah completely change so it's maybe yeah looking at uh, for, for, for advice for people maybe looking at um a, advisory roles or it doesn't have to you don't have to employ a chief financial officer um but you uh to look at look at how you could get someone in advisory to be able to help you with something like that because it will vastly improve your business especially if they're as clever as paul <laughs> <laughs> well obviously you know we've got we've got um uh, probably seven or eight people working for Aspenweight who uh, are able to fulfil uh, the CFO function. Mm. Anything from very part time to uh, fairly full time, you know, or full time. Um, Darren Tolbert would be a very good example. You know, Darren Tolbert, uh, beyond all doubt, takes entire responsibility for the financial function of the Cardiff Blues mm. and all the stresses, the many stresses, Darren, that. that um, but that entails. So, you know, that is not a full-time role, but obviously uh, what... See, the way I look at it is uh, I would say if someone said to me, uh, as, as a concept, because I wouldn't I would do it anyway, but if, if someone came along to me and said, how much money would I have to pay you to stop you working for Aspen Weight? Mm-hmm. It would be something north of £250,000 a year, probably more than that, mm-hmm. to be honest. And that's what, because that's what I consider I'm worth. Mm. And probably in terms of um, generation of fees, I would comfortably think I did a million pounds. Mm. I earn at least a million pounds rest per weight every year, I reckon. Um, so uh, the, the way I look at it, if you then work that out as to what I'm generating per hour, uh, my view would be that. You know, without being arrogant, so a little bit of me is a bit like gold dust. So I see things. Well, fact, one of my clients said to me very kindly the other day. He said, "You see things other people don't see." Mm. And obviously, one of the things I would say I was particularly good at, although I don't like to label myself as an accountant, I think in terms of looking down a set of numbers and looking for trends and what's wrong, I, I do that as well as anybody in the world. Mm. So, so my point is, is that. Uh, I think I think that, for instance, having a business that has a little bit of someone like me, mm-hmm. who's perhaps prepared to do that for a thousand pounds a month, mm. because you don't need a lot of that person. Mm. What I'm able to do in that seven hours, somebody of half my intellect would never be able to do. Yeah, it's a bit like saying you would you wouldn't be able to change the engine of an Aston Martin, mm. Mm. nor would a guy in Quick Fit. Mm. So. Actually, having a proper Aston Martin trained engineer who might charge eighty pounds an hour, in fact, is not stupid, is it? Because mm. a guy on twenty pounds an hour physically can't do it. Yeah. So it's not a case of saying he he could do it in three hours instead of one. He just can't do it. So I can do things that you would never be able to do. Yeah, it bring, it brings me back as well what you said about employment and about um, some of the mistakes that have been made in in the past of like instead of employing someone for fifteen thousand or or ten thousand or whatever I can't remember what you said in the in the podcast. Well, you, you employ cheaper people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah if you do that and you do many, then then it's um, 
that then you're not going to get the same output as one good person so it's just kind of that thing so yeah being being clever about uh what kind of services you're bringing into your company um because you might have to pay a little bit more money for something but what you're going to get out of it is is a lot more beneficial for your company you know i think you know i think at the end of the day um it's what works for a business mm. you know businesses tend to grow in non so you have a textbook so you write a book and you said yeah. you know this is how how you wanted a company to grow from naught to a hundred million pounds uh, including your employment policy that would never match no. what people do in a real world no so you know one of my favorite clients um uh, that i saw this week um for instance uh Darren, for instance, Darren was the financial director previously in this business. Uh, they haven't replaced him, and we're probably on to the third or fourth sort of um, way of doing things uh, now. But when all said and done, what actually happens is, you know, the reason I go down there, which is why I was there for half a day this week, is the owner basically sits down with me and I do the clever stuff, if you like. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm saying yes. We should buy this. Then, uh, planning between the companies, um, solving various business and tax issues, budgeting issues. You know, these sort of things. So I think. Um, so you know, going back to the, the the business that I said, you know, he doesn't know, but what he has got, he's got someone processing for him. So obviously, the basic thing you need to have your transactions processed. Right. The person doing that is probably helpful if they have some degree of understanding, mm-hmm. and, and there needs to be somebody in the process that does. Mm-hmm. Then, but that day needs to be captured. So you know what 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 ordinarily happens with most of our clients is they have sufficient in-house expertise, probably up to what I would call financial controller level right so a financial controller is probably someone on average that can process the transactions of a business up to what's called trial balance stage right so trial balance means so the trial balance is all the codes all the activities the cost centers mm-hmm. of a company all the transactions that have taken place in the year mm-hmm. uh, so you get a year end trial balance it's that that then forms the basis of the accounts if that person's able to do that then someone like me can... So, for instance... And I if did, that's I did, done properly in a good way... So, this is what I'm talking about. It's very often turn over a company here, just mm-hmm. from this perspective. So, uh, the owner phoned me up last week and he said, I need to set up accounts doing quickly for the bank. Mm-hmm. I, I, within an hour, sent, sent an email to the financial controller of this company um, and said, can you send me the trial balance, SAGE P&Ls, age debtors, age creditors, blah, 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 because Kevin wants me to do uh, blah, blah, blah. So, by Saturday at 12 Mm o'clock, probably with little more than two or three hours effort, I had compiled a list of all the adjustments that needed to to be made to create a reasonable set of draft accounts. Mm -hmm. So, in terms of, you know, being able to comply with what the bank asked for, that was a reasonably efficient solution, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. (laughs) But that company obviously isn't looking at stellar management information every month. Mm. Really, it, it depends on what the company's trying to do. Uh, so, for instance, you know, if, if you're a company and you have high ambition, 
which many of our clients do, uh, and you're looking to grow, you, and you're looking to grow, you need to borrow money, you need to get more investment, then I would say having the best possible system is absolutely essential. Mm. You know, you need you need really good management management information. You need you know you need tight accounting, tight controls, uh, the best possible reporting. If on the other hand you're running a owner managed business, you know three or four million, you've got up to fifty employees. Uh, to some extent, I would say you, you can easily get by with what I'd call a Heath Robinson approach. Mm-hmm. Heath Robinson basically means a sort of a, a non-standard. So, you know, if you looked at all our clients, there wouldn't be a common theme running through all of them. Every business, to some extent, would do something slightly different. Mm-hmm. They would lean on us, more or less, depending on who they were. I think, um, and to some extent, you know, it's just a word. You know, Chief Financial Officer... Uh, I would say that I fulfil that function in a number of companies, but I'm not actually called it. In companies that we're involved in, so uh, China UK would be a good example. So China UK is now a Aspen Weight company. Really. And by the way, we just won a new contract yesterday for 48,000 pounds a year. I'm pleased to report. Oh, wow. um, so in the board meeting last week, which I chaired because I'm a chairman, I actually said because I believe in taking responsibility, as you know. Um, I said to the others, just for the avoidance of doubt, although I don't like being the financial director particularly, I accept, given the balance of the people on this team, that that's a role I have to play. Yeah. So don't worry about it. I will do that. I will discharge that responsibility. So what I'm doing, I'm a good team member. Last night, for instance, I'm just going to do a bunch team, but uh, we've got um, one new client that came yesterday. Uh and uh, a, a traditional client that's just basically not been playing ball and giving us the information. Uh, I basically managed to talk. This, this was talk about pure serendipity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you'd blow your brain if you thought about the chances of this happening. I happened to phone David Shearer's five minutes after we met this new client. Turns out that in that five minutes, David had found out the year in was May. I phoned up then, and David actually gets me to talk to the managing director. I said to the managing director, if you get me the full accounts, the corporation tax computation return by five o'clock tonight, I'll do your return. Mm-hmm. I guarantee I will do your return by tomorrow. It'll go in in time. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, uh, because of the difficult client, I also said to my team that uh, I would finish off this these two companies that also need to be filed today. So I sent out an email last night and said, I have done this. I think it's called leading from the front, I put. <laughs> No, it's just it's, so to me. I think I shouldn't tell you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Mm. If you know that I'm asking you to do something, but I would do it ten times more, mm. then you're going to have a degree of respect for me, aren't you, or whatever you know? Mm. And I think you know it's it's all about teams. So ultimately, we all want to do the best, achieve the best result we can for the team, the business, whatever. How we go about organising that, I think, doesn't really matter, you know. Ultimately, I think that all businesses... If it was me, I would say, even if you were a small business, you should want the best. Yeah. And I think, actually, uh, if, one was to, if one was able to trial this, I think that... See, what happens, what happens often is people will convince themselves that they can't afford to spend £6,000 on having monthly management accounts. Right. 
because that's what Aspen Wake wants to charge them for doing it. So they don't do that. So what happens instead is they have no real management information. They've got this growing business, but they haven't really got the right information. You can't tell me over a period of time that they wouldn't have benefited. They wouldn't have actually got that money back many times over. Mm. But to some extent, you have to get to be an old fossil like me to see that, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, can see six, quite six clearly thousand, now like that having number. two fairly useless people is not as good as having one great person. Yeah. It isn't. Mm. End of. You know, mm. one of the things, if you, if you, if, if I was, if I was, to, if someone said to me, right, in 15 minutes, go and talk to a thousand chief executives and pass on your real nuggets of gold dust, you know? So one of the things I say to people all the time is, I'd rather have less better people. Yes. Less people, but they're really good. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have 10 brilliant people than have 25 average people. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, it, it's so would some advice for someone who's looking into, in say, um, think that they may, may need to get a financial officer or, or someone in that role, it's um, seeing the bigger picture and like knowing that you may need to spend a little bit more money but um, or something that may seem worrying, like say six thousand pound on management accounts. Um, but if you look at the bigger picture, that's going to give you so much more control over your business and um, benefits. Well, you know, ultimately, um, if you have good management information, you make better decisions. If you make better decisions, you make more money, won't you? Yeah. So you might you might be um, you might be leaking money in an area but you don't really know you're leaking it because you don't account for it properly yeah so all that happens is you keep losing money but you don't know you are whereas if you had a good system you'd know you would you could tackle it there and then you may you may lose it like you may be losing it like in small amounts so but over a long period of time that will turn into a lot bigger well, no, mess no, it bigger might be a lot, there might be lots of banks <laughs> yeah you know. yeah but you just don't know because you haven't got that information so make sure you get the information <laughs> No, so, so I think I think you know I think uh, you know this isn't really supposed to be a, a, a podcast about whether you have a chief financial officer or not. I think oh, this is rolled into it quite nicely. I think it's no, 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 no. I wasn't I finished, please, Mister Armstrong. <laughs> what I was going to say is, so I think for the benefit of listeners, what what I would say is there is no business that would not benefit from having a budgeting system. Mm. Uh, obviously, in my case, you know, I did I did a business plan on a budget before I started, and I've done one ever since. Uh, to me, if you don't know where you're going, then you're not going to get there, are you? Um, all you do is react. So, you know, 70% of businesses don't fail inside three years for no reason. Um, so I think uh, investing in something that's adequate. So, you know, you don't have to have a chief financial officer. What what you should have is uh, your information processed reliably, a system that understands your business that works for you, and some means of being able to monitor that and if you're not able to do that somebody you can talk to who does I would say that's probably I think that's a that's a that's a great uh, great point to end the podcast on Paul actually because that's some brilliant Thank you, advice there so um, this week um, uh, the, the record I've chosen this week is uh, Temple of Love by um, the Sisters of Mercy Uh I love the Sisters of Mercy anyway. I sort of like, uh, as you know, sort of bassy gothic sort of music. Uh, and uh, Sisters of Mercy do that particularly well. What's especially poignant about this track, if those, those of you who aren't aware of it, it's got uh, probably half of the singing is done by the most amazing lady called Ofra Haza, uh, who's an Israeli, 
uh, who tragically died. Uh, I think she was forty-three. Um, don't really want to talk. It's quite upsetting, really. But um, let's just say it wasn't her own. It wasn't her fault that she ended up dying. Oh, okay. So it's quite quite tragic. Uh, she has the most amazing voice. Sings like an angel. Uh, in this particular track, uh, I, I'm really impressed that uh, the Sisters of Mercy obviously were aware of her because her voice just fits beautifully into what's needed on this track mm-hmm. um, because because she is very famous in Israel um, there, there are lots of uh, videos of her which I've started watching so if any of you have got any time and you want to listen to uh, an outstanding female voice listen to uh, I think it's called Jerusalem of Gold uh, by Ofra Hazza um, absolutely uh, tremendous singing um and, uh, and I really, you know, I really think uh, you could do a lot worse than spend a few minutes chilling out listening to her. So my track this week is uh, Temple of Love by the Sisters of Mercy, featuring Ofra Haza, rest in peace. Uh, really, really um, stimulating and great track, I think. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you very much, listeners. Hope you enjoy this track, and we will catch you next week. <laughs>
Ich schreie und 